mega pack factory going up in Shanghai. The Giga Nevada plant going to get to 100 gigawatt hours per year. And that a portion of that will be for stationary storage. So if you start doing the math on some of this stuff, it gets really large. We may have a, an inflection point where analysts starts to take the energy side of the business more seriously. As a long-term investor in Tesla myself and someone who is bullish on Tesla's prospects, I like to make sure I do as much due diligence as I can to confirm my own forecast. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with an analyst who's also a Tesla bull, but who, as part of their day job, spends time drafting reports and spreadsheets tracking every part of Tesla's business. Matt Smith is an equity analyst at Halter Ferguson Financial, which is a wealth management and financial planning firm. We'll review his analysis on their base and bull case forecast for Tesla's various businesses beyond the auto business and into energy, bots, and others. Matt previously managed the business of power plants, so he uniquely understands the energy market. Along with Bradford Ferguson, they co-wrote an 18-page Tesla valuation report. He's also done deep dives into energy and robotaxi. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much, Herbert. Glad to be here. So you are a long-term bull. You've been part of the Tesla community. Just start off the bat. Tell me why you think Tesla's a good investment. What are some of your projections? Um, just what do you think makes Tesla so different? Uh, just start off there. Yeah, I mean, I, I could take that in probably a hundred different directions, but um, you know, I, I think the 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 big thing um, that that maybe is underappreciated is just the the culture that they have. So I actually spent time as as a, an intern for General Motors as well, and you know, being in the in the Metro Detroit area, um, talked to a lot of people, a lot of suppliers, and just people who work in in the industry. And there's a certain kind of culture uh, that I would say kind of permeates the industry there, and Tesla. Just the way that they think about things and, and the the pace of innovation, like Elon always talks about, um, I think it's it's really just stands in stark contrast to the way that um, the other automotive companies uh, operate, and and it's really clear that they're not just an automotive company. I mean, that was always the you know the knock on Tesla for the first I don't know 15 years of their existence, and some people still say this: oh, they're just an automotive company. Like they were all the while they were building out this. Um, AI capability and and building up the energy business, and now that I think both of those segments of their of their business are really starting to um, hit their their stride in terms of of growing into meaningful parts of the business, right at a time when I think like the secular um, trend is becoming really apparent to your average investors that okay AI is like a mega trend that's not going away that's going to be fueling growth and like energy and sustainability is another one and you need storage because of the intermittency of, of renewables so Tesla is just like magically poised to take advantage of these um, you know two huge trends just at the right time um, and so I, I think just seeing a culture that was taking these massive risks even even investing in the Gigafactory back in what was that 2014 or something like that. Um, just seemed like such a ridiculous thing to do at the time. But like you fast forward, you know, five years later and it was like, oh, that was obviously the right move. So I, I think just the, their willingness to take risks that um, make sense. They're not just taking risks for the sake of taking risks, but they're really deeply thinking through these things and saying, okay, like this is the way that the economy and industry is going. And so uh, if we're serious about, you know, leading this transition and accelerating the, the transition to uh, sustainable energy, then the implication is that we do this really crazy thing over here that, oh, by the way, if we um, solve it right, is going to result in massive shareholder uh, value creation. So a um, bit of a rambling answer there, but that's uh, a couple of the things that, that 
uh, I think really stick out to me is Tesla for Tesla as an investment. Okay, well, that's good. So we'll dive deeper into each of those. And I'll also want to go right into your valuation um, forecast that you did, bull and bear case. But tell me how you even discovered Tesla, because I know you said that you worked at a power plant uh, years back, which is fantastic. You actually understand how to manage the business of a power plant. Was it there that you kind of um, already knew the energy business, started hearing about Tesla, or was it just completely, completely separate from your day job there? So I, I actually applied to work at Tesla in, um, it must have been 09, um, which was, <laughs> they were probably not doing a whole wow. lot of hiring at that time. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, had, I was aware of the company at that time, and I just thought it was like really cool what they were doing. Um, I actually spent a lot of time studying physics when I was in college, even though, you know, I also um, have a finance and, and a degree in Chinese language as well. Um, but I, I just really loved the idea of physics. And so the... The concept of regenerative regenerative breaking just made a lot of sense to me, and it's like, well, this is obviously the way that you know it should be done. So I was just a, a fan of Tesla, um, really from the very early days. Um, but I, I was also, um, you know, a bit of a finance nerd, and, and from a valuation perspective, once they went public, I just was like, well, this <laughs> this clearly doesn't make any sense that they're trading at anything close to the market caps of the Fords and GMs of the world when. Uh, they were not really close to profitable yet um, and were just burning cash like crazy. So I was actually, you know, I would say aware mm. and like a fan of the company from close to its inception, at least, um, but not a fan of, of Tesla as an investment until around 2017. I started um, listening to a lot of the earnings calls and digging in in more detail and was like, OK, actually, it, it clicked to me how they could uh, really surpass Toyota in, in terms of automotive manufacturing efficiency. And then with the upside optionality of autonomy, if they could actually solve that, then it was just like all bets were off, and you know you you could be like in the, uh, a market cap in the trillions. Um, so so that was really the turning point for me. And then in in 2019, when they actually proved out the the ramp, that's when I aggressively got into in, into Tesla and just um, thankfully kind of hit it right at the at the right time. Oh, okay. So gotcha. Interesting. Very cool. I would have loved it if you got a job at Tesla in 2009. That would have been amazing. I, I wonder so what would have happened. Yeah. I, I sometimes wonder if there's an alternate alternative reality that, you know, I <laughs> just moved out to California instead of Manhattan and, and just, you know, grounded out there. And, uh, you know, oddly enough, um, you know, Dan Priestley, the, um, the guy yes. who, who manages the, yes. the semi and who was on the Jay Leno, like, um, you know, showing him the, the Tesla semi. I went to high school yeah. with him. So I was like in classes with him. It's like I could be, you know, doing something else uh, and still kicking it around with, well, with Dan Priestley. So, yeah, you are, you're, you are, uh, you know, you're so heavily involved with Tesla. So you discovered in 2009. It was kind of interesting that you said that you invest in 2017 because that was probably. Okay, the, the most riskiest time, which is like a little bit of a dichotomy, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm a startup guy, so I love to discover companies that are early on, which is 2012. And then 2017-18, it was flat for many years. There was talk about them going bankrupt, and they really were. They almost mm -hmm. went bankrupt. And that's when you thought, wow, this is a good investment. And then you saw that they're beyond that. And then I get the whole thing about once you saw that they were able to truly ramp and their advantages of the factory that I get. But you know what I mean? 2017-18 was actually yeah. the nadir of them as an investment, but that's when you went in. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was, I was just so fascinated with the company and, you know, in my job, my company actually had um, a Model S 
and that they would let their employees uh, drive from time to time. And so it was probably 2016 or something like that. I got to take the company Model S for a couple of days and it just blew my mind. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is this is the future. This is, I was nowhere near being able to afford a car like that, but I was just like, this is like the car that I want and I cannot wait for them to launch a lower priced car. And everything about this just makes so much sense. It's such a like better customer experience. Um, it just like, I kind of became an addict uh, for Tesla content and, and information once I had that initial experience. Um, and so then, you know, listening to some of the financial calls and, and things like that. Um, I mean, I didn't invest a lot at the time. And um, it, even if it all went to zero, it wasn't going to be particularly impactful for me. I had a you know, good paying full-time job, so I wasn't uh, too worried about it. But um, yeah, I, I would say I, I kind of dipped my toe into the investment in, in 2017. I don't remember how much I bought actually, but um, you know, it, was, it wasn't a you know, any sort of like make or break sum for me. But you know, in 2019, by contrast, when I kind of really went all in, that was um, uh, much more, uh, that was a different scenario. Okay. So you saw the business, you saw the car, but then you were working at a power plant. Was did, was there something there that you saw that Tesla was going to revolutionize energy or was it just, you know, not not even something that came to your radar yet? So tell me about that. Yeah. So I was, um, I was actually uh, managing a fleet of power plants. So, um, you know, I, I'd spend a decent amount of time kind of bouncing around our, our, all of the different power plants that we did have. Um, but um, my main responsibility um, by, the, by the time I left the company was I was managing a fleet of, of mostly wind assets um, across the country. So we had sites in Texas, Ohio, um, and then biomass plants in Michigan and North Carolina. So, um, you know, I, I I would say it wasn't any particular work that I was doing there that necessarily um, convinced me that, that Tesla was was a great investment. Um, and in fact, I, I started a um, a YouTube channel to kind of try to break down the energy side of Tesla's business um, because I, I just thought it was really widely misunderstood. Like people either ignored it completely or thought it was going to be like, you know, <laughs> like bigger than the automotive business and in the next five years. And so I, I just, my experience with, with the space is that it's extremely complicated and requires a high degree of nuance in order to, to get the, you know, the story right. Um, but what, what Tesla was doing, and especially at, at the time was really focusing on uh, like distributed. So like behind the meter, uh, 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 like energy assets, which, really coincided well with my view of where the the energy industry was going to go in the in the very long term and elon actually used this one phrase i think it was on the q4 17 2017 earnings call where he said that the goal for tesla energy was to become a giant distributed global utility hmm. and i was like it clicked when he said that that phrase and i was like i don't it was like one of those things that I don't think anybody listening really like thought about at all because it's just like, well, what does that mean? And who cares anyways? Because energy is like <laughs> a, a worthless business for Tesla at the time. Um, but to me, that was like where the strategy and the long term thinking really clicked. And I was like, oh, I think I know what their long term ambitions are. Um, and so that was when I started, you know, really trying to piece together, OK, how big of an opportunity is this? And, you know, put some numbers around that and uh, did a couple kind of explainer videos around it as well. Okay, wonderful. So I want to dive, or dive even more deeper into energy. Let's just step back a bit. You and Bradford, um, you guys co-wrote this Tesla valuation report, 18 pages. You guys are, you're an analyst, and so you do a lot of projections and financial kind of 
breakdowns, which is fantastic. And um, well, I'll, I'll put a link in the description to be able to take a look at this. And I know you wrote it a while back, so I'm just still going to do some editing to it. But what I see here is that one of the best cases uh, you've got here, if you look at the alternative scenarios on the last page, your Tesla stock uh, present value, you believe, should be at $1,184. Uh, but if you just do the base case, which doesn't include uh, FSD or I think... Uh, RoboTaxi, certainly no bots that time. You got it at three hundred and forty-seven dollars uh, for twenty thirty, and at twenty twenty-five, it should be three hundred dollars. So that's a very base level. But just tell me about how you, what your, how you think about Tesla. What parts of the business is the most expensive, uh, the most valuable, and then let's get into deeper into energy. Yeah. So um, that's a good kind of summary. So essentially what we did when, when looking at the business is, you know, we looked at all the different parts of the business. So um, the automotive business, the energy business, what, are, what do we think the margins are going to be on both? What do we think take rates for FSD are going to be in the long run? I think this is a really important piece of the equation that I don't think a lot of the Wall Street analysts actually um, do because it takes a lot of extra work to actually break out full self-driving um, revenues from the automotive revenues because, um, about half, a little bit less than half of those uh, full self-driving revenues are actually deferred. So it takes a little bit of estimation and, and kind of tracking over time to kind of strip out those revenues and, and um, be able to flex what um, increases in take rate going forward might might do to uh, margins in the future and therefore cash flows and, and the value of the stock. Um, so, but that's what we did. You know, we essentially assumed a base case um, model that was, uh, we, we kind of looked at it at two different time horizons and, and discounted both of those back to the present. Uh, but essentially where we, we believe that take rates for FSD will increase um, even without robotaxis being solved, just as a, a function of um, it being a really great ADAS system. Um, and the more I'm, I'm using FSD in my day-to-day -day life and seeing how it gets better, you know, every month or two, um, I just think that it's it's kind of if you follow that trend to its logical conclusion, but even if you exclude robo taxis, um, it stands to reason that the take rate will go up because um, you're a better product at the same price <laughs> should have a higher take rate. So I think we assumed some modest um, assumptions and in, uh, increases in take rate. I don't remember the exact figure, but I think we we kind of gradually ticked it up to maybe twenty percent in the long run. So still, I would I think pretty um, you know kind of measured um assumptions in there uh we also i think at the time had uh, higher margins for or higher pricing for both automotive and for energy because this was uh, uh published before the the uh, price decreases both on megapack and across the board on, on autos so i think if you if you took those into account and kind of re-ran the numbers uh, the the valuation would would go down a little bit um but getting to your your question of like how do i, I think about the stock and which parts are, are most like valued the way I think of it is is like the core business um, is is like roughly fairly valued to maybe a little bit undervalued, and by the core business I mean the things that like Wall Street cares about. <laughs> so mm -hmm. basically, just selling cars and and that's it. Um, maybe a little bit of energy margin, but that's really just starting to ramp up now. Um, but where I think the stock has so much um, upside potential that um, I think is almost unparalleled in, in terms of just like how disruptive the technology Tesla's developing could really be is that they've got, you know, both the robo taxi potential and the Tesla bot potential. And it's like, so, so that $1,184 share price, that's a present value share price 
um, essentially assuming that they they solve autonomy and, and launch the robotaxi network in a, in a couple of years. Uh, that's what the share price would be worth today on a, on a present value basis. Then the Tesla bot um, piece of it is like a significant multiple on top of that. Uh, we did evaluation uh, more recently um, on, on what that piece of, of the uh, equation would look like. And it's it's just like a, an absolutely nutty amount of, of value. So, you know, what our, our kind of base case valuation um, came up with an estimate of $18.7 trillion uh, as, the, as the present value for the Tesla bot. Um, so obviously there's there's like a decent amount of execution risk in in you know both the the robo taxi network and the tesla bot um so like it's it's <laughs> the, the stock should <laughs> definitely not be valued at those levels today um but seeing how like nutty the economic potential is of this company is, is what makes me so excited to hold um beyond just kind of the core business that that wall street in folks like adam yeah, jonas yeah. think is kind of nice <laughs> I love it because you're so you're an analyst. You got this very beautiful spreadsheets, and you're very very careful. I'm sure you got the auto business really well ramped up. I want to talk about energy. You got that really well ramped up, and then you do the bots, and it's like, <laughs> and like you're trying to be conservative. Well, you're trying to be accurate, and it's like, ah, how do I rein this well, in? But you can't. It's right? like <laughs> you've got to make some assumptions, and, and I think most people. James Dalma had a great quote on this recently. I forget exactly what it was, but it was something to the effect of like serious people don't say nutty things, you know, and, and it's like that's that's so true. But if you, if you really are trying to think from first principles and I really do try not to be like biased on the right. bull side or on, on the right. bear side, like one of the things I really try to do on my quarterly uh, earnings per share estimates is if I'm not missing high and low with like relative um, like on the, the same amount of, mm -hmm. of, of on a, on a, relatively similar frequency that I'm biased mm -hmm. one way or the other. So I want to try to take my own bias as much uh, out of the equation as I can when I'm developing these, these spreadsheets. So, you know, when you're but when you're looking at something like the Tesla bot, um, the potential is is just so enormous. Um, I mean, if they're actually able to train this to do basically any type of work that that a human right. can do, like, yeah. All right, let's let's put that on paper. Yeah, I actually started my career off in, in valuation, so like I really got really good at the you know skill set of we would value these intangible assets. So like I had to do a, a valuation for gap reporting purposes of what, what's the value of an assembled workforce or of um, you know I would do goodwill impairment testing where you'd have to you know essentially uh, or, or do like purchase price allocations where you're saying okay what's the what's the value of trademarks and you know. Uh, company know-how. It's like, all right, well, let's let's put some numbers on on paper. Mm -hmm. So I, I got, uh, I would say, relatively adept at being able to take um, qualitative problems like that and translate it into you know quantitative outputs mm -hmm. on on Excel. Um, and so I've just over the years kind of trained my brain to you know be able to think, what do I think you know this technology might actually be capable of doing, and if so, like how big is the market for that, and like. In order to be competitive and, and compelling to your customers, what does your pricing need to look like? And then what does your cost structure look like? And so just thinking through each step of that, and, and that kind of creates a valuation. And, and going through that process for the Tesla bot just gets gets you these nutty numbers that, that I think James Dalma was alluding to, although he was talking about autonomy, I think. But this, I think the same thing applies to both autonomy and bots, where you know if Tesla actually can solve this, and, and if AI really is this, like, like a uh, huge shift in economic outcome that um, myself and many others think that it it, it will be, um, <laughs> then we are at this inflection point that's frankly going to be a little bit nutty.
I love it. You know, first of all, kudos to you for being able to do that skill. It's very hard. Not everybody can do this. We know a few analysts local to our Tesla community that cannot think outside the box, can't change their spreadsheet, uh, but you can. So thank you for doing that. Um, you know, it's, it's funny that we're talking this way because initially it was very, very straightforward, right? Just six months ago, it was very straightforward. Um, there's the auto business and then there's the energy business. You and Bradford have been doing a lot of great work on the energy business. Um, in fact, Bradford camped out for seven days in front of Lathrop. He's uh, hardcore. Counting yeah, mega he's... packs. I don't know anybody else who's ever done that to really be an analyst uh, who understands it and really can see, right? He's on the ground. So the two of you are able to do things like that. Uh, so it was it was a auto business. and business. Which business do you actually think could come sooner? Is it FSD? Is it AI? Is it uh, energy? Is it uh, bots? Which one? Now we're debating which one might come faster because we all thought these were all very far away, but they're, they've all come so soon. What's your mind uh, is the next one? Well, I, I think there's there's a, a, there's differences both in the timing, but also in, in the magnitude of, of the impact. So like, I actually think um, we're going to start seeing a, a pretty meaningful ramp in in gross margins on the energy side of the business this quarter. So uh, th this may age horribly, but you know, I was I was doing mm -hmm. my um, my estimates for for Q3, which is going to be released you know a week from from today, um, and I was coming up with automotive gross or uh, energy gross margin of around five hundred million dollars uh, for the quarter, a little bit over that actually, which is uh, roughly double where they were just the quarter prior. Um, and that gets to a, a $2 billion per year run rate. So I, I think at that kind of um, contribution level, the analysts are going to have to start uh, taking uh, or considering it and, and modeling it into their into their spreadsheets because it's a very real part of the, the business. Um, you know, I, I think for, for some parts of the business that have been like uh, nice, like credits, for example, they're just like, ah, we'll back it off because it's not really core business. Um, but you can't really do that with <laughs> like energy margin uh, which is ramping so aggressively on the back of the, you know, the Lathrop ramp. And then on top of that, they're ramping up, you know, their battery production uh, across the board. Um, Megapack factory going up in Shanghai. They're, uh, they've talked about the, the Giga Nevada plant going to get to 100 gigawatt hours per year. And that a portion of that will be for stationary storage. So if you start doing the math on some of this stuff, it gets really large. Um, so I think we may have a, 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 an inflection point where analysts starts to take the energy side of the business more seriously. But that said, like, I, I don't think um, even if they fully value the energy side of the business, I don't think that warrants like uh, a 2x of the business. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just think that the energy ramp is going to be a little bit slow, even though it's, it's kind of starting to get into the steep part of the S-curve right now. Um, so I think a little bit of, of kind of prudence there is uh, warranted. Maybe that pushes the stock over 300 or something like that. Not investment advice, but it's just something I could see happening if they, um, you know, if Tesla really does surprise and, and people start taking the energy side of the business seriously. Um, but I, I think what's more exciting to me um, is is autonomy. So, I mean, V12, that video was, was so impressive. And I think the thing that's even more impressive about it is just the, the potential for the rate of iteration to, to really increase. And especially with the the fleet size being what it is right now, and, and the fact that their their compute um, capabilities are increasing at just such a staggering rate, um, it, it, uh, I, I've, I've fallen victim to believing Elon's timelines 
uh, even with a little <laughs> bit of a, of a discount, I think, in the past. Said, okay, he thinks something will be ready in six months. I'll give it 18, and, and maybe that'll be there. Uh, obviously, that's been wrong kind of time and again. But to me, it seems like the, um, the, both the, the approach they have, the compute capabilities they have, the size of the fleet, all these things seem to be aligned, uh, and, and frankly, in their, their V12 architecture, um, where I could actually see like massive leaps and bounds to the point where you could be, you know, interventions will be decreasing um, at an extremely high rate. Um, and then eventually, you know, when that rate gets, you know, low enough, then you can flip the switch to, to autonomy. So um, I, I think we might be surprised by how quickly that comes. Um, I don't think it'll be <laughs> by the end of this year or in the next six months. But um, I'm I'm really excited over the next let's say 18 months to see how close they get to um, something that's actually just like phenomenal because I, I do try to be a realist with FSD beta. Like I had a drive this morning, I was frankly awful on the new 11. What is it? 4.7.2 or something like that. Um, there's still way too many interventions, so like you can't take a, um, robo taxi um, considerations seriously when when it's still doing stuff like this. So. Um, I'm really excited for that, but I'm also slightly hesitant because I want to kind of see firsthand the, the improvements in, in in my car before I get too excited and, and thinking that the stock's going to move. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they've, they've said that, uh, Ashok said that the FSE 12 may be in customers' hands by the end of this year. That was his statement he made. That would be phenomenal. I, 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 so I don't know how they do that. I'm, I'm curious, what do, what do you think though, Herbert? Because... I think that one of the issues with with V12 is that it's such a black box. Like you don't know why it's making the decisions that it's making. So, like, is there some random odd case that it's going to make a, a horrible mistake that's completely like the user wouldn't be prepared for because they've never seen it make that mistake? I don't know. To me, it just seems like a different like QA QC kind of process than than they've had had to go through before. But so, I think it's think? the opposite. It's the opposite because um, one of the things that James Dalma says is that what's unique about this neural net end-to-end -end and the computer making decisions, you don't know what's happening inside the black box, is that they're feeding it videos that's been curated. 144,000 mm -hmm. hours of video per day based on millions of videos that it has already been curated. This is the curated video by Tesla you know, employees who say these are the five-star Uber drivers. Here's the best way to do this correctly. So the chances mm -hmm. of it to actually do the completely stupid thing is is much less than it is now, which is, you know, if you see this, then you make this decision. If you see a stop sign, you should stop. They don't do that anymore. So that's why I don't know if you should base any decision on FSD based on FSD 11 anymore, right? <laughs> it's still yeah, making well, lots of mistakes. It's, it's already irrelevant. So like, I'm, yeah. I, but that's, and yeah. that's what you have to be doing as like an analyst or as an investor is like the current state is not where you want to be looking at it except to the Thank extent you. that it gives you an indication of of how future progress might be made so um yeah. but you're, you're you're absolutely right like i just frankly can't wait to get b12 to, to see what it's yeah. like yeah we're, we're we're making leaps in a, uh, a bounce but it's based on what ChatGPT was able to accomplish because it's using the same model it's based on even um, wave just wave.ai mm -hmm. just produced their own report of a world model that it's able to determine and it's based on the demonstration that Ashok has been showing us. So it looks really, really powerful. It looks like it's going to work. Um, so I agree with you. The confidence level is really high there. Um, before we get into that a little bit more, um, yeah, I should just mention this. So I did an interview with Brian Wang, and he said that if you, even if you don't put in robo-taxi and you don't even consider regulatory approval at all, and assume that that never happens. But like you said earlier, the FSD take rate will go up. 
Now you said 20% take rate. He went up as high as 50% because if the if the ability for FSE is so good, much better than it is now, more people will buy it. And for they sure. may not use yeah. it as robo-taxi, but they'll do it for safety reasons. And if you do a 50% take rate, what happens is that he calculated that the revenue will be $80 billion, which is the same amount of money that Amazon gets uh, for the AWS division. And the AWS is what caused the Amazon stock to go up by four times. But mm -hmm. he said that the $80 billion, it's four times, FSE is four times more profitable than AWS is. And so just that alone, FSE take rate alone, should be equivalent to what AWS did to Amazon. And if not more, to the slot. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've got a lot of thoughts on that. First of all, like I, I kind of agree conceptually. I, I think at least with today's prices, 50% just strikes me as potentially a little, a little bit on, on the high side. Um, but it, it could it could it could happen. Um, the, I think the problem is a lot of people don't want to pay that much out of pocket. So I, I think they might need to um, get it you know, to, to the point where the overall car payment inclusive of say an FSD subscription or lease or something like that, um, is, I don't know what the right number is, but 600, $700 a month, something like that. And so that's where I think the gen three platform could actually come in and like save the day. Cause if you have, you know, a $25,000 car and then you wrap in a $12,000 FSD subscription and you wrap that into a lease, all of a sudden that's like, that's going to make a whole lot of sense for a lot of people. And and if Tesla's costs of manufacturing are, I don't know, say $20,000, then you've got, you know, $12,000 of gross margin on, on a $32,000 vehicle. I mean, the gross margins on that are just insane. Now, like you, if there's lease, there's a little bit of like time value of money difference, but from a net present value perspective, it doesn't matter whether they buy it outright or whether they, they lease it. Um, but like, that's where this is going, but they're going to drive the hardware cost down to the absolute bare bottom as low as it can go. And then and eventually the software, the, prices. software yeah. prices are probably going to go up. But even if they just stay where they are, um, you'll get to this point where like you can buy FSD and a really compelling mm -hmm. electric vehicle um, for the same cost of an ICE vehicle and it'll be cheaper to operate and it will drive, drive itself. Like that, yeah. that value proposition is is something that I think the world has never really seen. And so I think that's what's going to really propel the kind of demand in, in the medium to long term. Now I'm going to put you on the spot then, because earlier you said that energy should, not investment advice, obviously not, but if people, if the investors start recognizing energy and you gave good reasons why, Lathrop, are they already at full capacity of 40 gigawatt hours or? No, they're, they're, they're not yet. Um, Bradford did a, another stakeout actually, but I don't think he's publicly released the, those, those numbers, but no, they're, they're still ramping up. Um, it's, you know, higher than it was. It's kind of, as you'd expect for any kind of product that they're ramping. Um, but, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not fully ramped yet. And, and keep in mind, there's like a lag in revenue recognition, even once Lathrop is ramped, right. then they have to get shipped yeah. to the, to the customers and, and maybe the revenue isn't fully recognized until the interconnect right. for the project is signed and, and is executed. So, um, there's, you know, there will be a little mm -hmm. bit of a, of a lag there. Okay, but you said earlier that um, if investors start recognizing that energy is a real business, it contributes significantly, that maybe the mm -hmm. stock goes up to $300. Then next year, I'd ask you which of these other new businesses might come in to give it a bump, and you picked FSD. And so do you think that next year that the stock might go up? You know, best case scenario, they release FSD 12 to customers by first quarter of 2024. 
Is that enough? People see that? Or do you need to see actual FSD take rates going up? And could that happen by the end of next year? Yeah, well, that, that's a great question. And if I had a crystal ball on that, um, <laughs> I, I'd be say crystal ball. <laughs> making some pretty aggressive portfolio changes. I promise you that. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I do think it's definitely possible. Um, I mean, let's just say, you know, V12 launches in, in Q1 and it actually does kind of blow minds. And, um, you know, it's just like, I, th I think one of the biggest problems people have is is the jerkiness of it. And it behaves when it when it behaves strangely, it behaves strangely in a way that a human would never behave in, in that particular way. Um, so like if, if those types of errors kind of uh, get weeded out and the intervention rate just goes down and it like kind of spreads like wildfire, like so many people today mm -hmm. don't even know that the, the kind of current level of full self-driving capability is even available <laughs> like anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so I think if there's like, I don't know, a movie or like, an advertisement, I, we could open the door up to that of, of just like the actual capability. If the general public becomes more aware of, of the capabilities of full self-driving um, and they're actually significantly better than, than what they are right now, then I think it tends to reason that that take rates could increase. And then if you start seeing that roll through the financials, say in, in Q3 or Q4, um, then Wall Street has like more kind of incontrovertible evidence that this trend is taking place. Um, and so, yeah, I, I could see that, you know, kind of going off to the races, but I think there's, there's maybe like two stages to this that I would think about, you know, one is mm -hmm. when us in the Tesla bubble and early adopters and people who actually drive FSD beta, like finally get it. And it's like, okay, this is actually like solved or extremely close to being solved. Um, I think that alone, uh, might trigger a little bit of, of movement in the stock. Um, but I think that the bigger catalyst would be, yeah, you know, if, you know, they can show take rates doubling or, you know, an incremental billion dollars of margin coming in a quarter because of FSD or something like that. Um, and those that, that type of, of upside is, is very much possible. Um, so I, I, but and if that starts to show and, and they can actually give color around, yeah, we saw our take rate increase and customers are you know saying they really enjoy this and yada, yada, yada. And it's actually showing up in their financials. Then I don't, I don't know how the stock doesn't move in, in, in that type of scenario. Yeah, I, I generally agree with everything you just said. I think that there could be a chat GPT moment for FSD, though. Um, Elon has talked about it. I actually was talking about it before he said the chat GPT moment on TV. And so what could that look like? This is a moment when the public realizes that this technology, while not perfect yet, is inevitable that it will happen, that, mm -hmm. that that's really the moment. And so what does that require? Like you just said, first of all, FSD version 12 has to be in our hands and we need to see that it's like, oh my gosh, this is now a step change. It is so good. It's not making as many issues and so forth. The moment though, I think that could happen, and this is a total guess on my part, is the, uh, the what they call ASS. <laughs> what do <laughs> yeah. call that? Uh, actual smart summon. <laughs> actual smart summon, yeah. <laughs> Which is this ability to call your car, you know, drop you off at the Walmart and then let the car park itself. And then when you come out, let it pick you up. I think that in the parking lot, when people start seeing a car that's driving without anybody in it, and I know that you can kind of do it right now, but it's in just not very, it's, it's, it's very bad. slow. Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> not few people, I don't do it, but if everybody starts doing it, all of us, you and me start doing it just for fun, people will take videos of that and they'll go, you know, take talks and they'll go out there. And I think that that's when the, that's the measure, the understanding that, my God, this car can navigate, can, you know, do things intelligently. That's just a guess on my part, but 
you know, that could happen a chat GPT moment. Uh, yeah, I think so. And, and I, I mean, I think chat GPT is such a good analogy here because like hearing people who are way more smart than I am and uh, are around this stuff, it's like the, the capabilities of chat GPT three and comparing that to chat GPT four are really not that much different. What was different, it was essentially how it could interact with like common, like non-technical people asking it questions. Um, and so I think that's the same sort of thing right now where like my, so my mother-in-law just used my, my car right. on a trip to Chicago and, and yeah. it was like great until it wasn't great. And so I think her overall experience was like, well, like the most stressful part was construction and she had to kind of take over cause you know, FSD was making her more stressed out in, in, in that type of, of area when it does the opposite. And when, you know, you're seeing like, you're just pushing your cart full of groceries at Costco and you see like some, you know, EV come like a valet guy and you're like, oh, I didn't know they had valet at Costco. And then you're like, Hey, there's no driver in there. Oh, okay. Somebody just gets in. Like, that's like one of those moments where like the jaw hits the floor. The kids are just like, Whoa, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so and videos, I, I think they can take videos of it. That's my thinking, right? You need to see more videos of, uh, you know, people it happening. Yeah, that's and so people will yeah. buy the car for that feature alone. Whereas you know, I, I think right now in this this kind of current moment that we are, a lot of people, you know, who maybe aren't educated about the benefits of of EVs, just like, well, like I'd rather have my F one fifty or my Jeep, um, you know, like whatever they they just don't want to like deal with trying to learn a new thing or they they've got irrational fears around like range anxiety and things like that, um, but if you say I, that I've got to get that ASS feature, like that's just the must have, then like that, that can, that can compel a, a lot of, uh, uh yeah. buying decisions. It's I think. usually something small that, but it, but it captures the imagination. That's what matters. So let's talk about things that you, you are, what's cool about you, right. Is that you do very deep, uh, analysis. You're very, very numbers guy. And that you, we explained earlier that you're able to also take abstract, you know, ideas and bring it down to paper. But you also have very different thinking than many of this, the Tesla community. One of the big ones is advertising. You're a big proponent that you think that Tesla should be advertising today. Um, you know, we don't, I, I know that this has been debated like crazy amongst the group, <laughs> but you know, I know you are very strongly uh, opinionated about it as well. So, you know, I'm, I think that you should advertise today, but I didn't think you needed to advertise six months ago. Um, and I don't think it's a must do, but you seem to be very, very opinionated about it. What's your reason? Yeah, well, well, I, th I think, you know, the, the biggest reason is that I talked to so many people who, who do have these like wild misconceptions of like, you know, range anxiety or like don't Tesla's blow up. It's like, no, they're actually like by far the safest vehicles on the road. Oh, really? Like, I didn't think that was true. Um, they're, they're just, I think there's um, so many people in this community believe that like the, the path to EV adoption is just like inevitable. And, and I think it, it is too, but I think we're, we're kind of at this moment where a lot of the early adopters have adopted. Um, Tesla's still trying to grow production by 50% a year. And so if you're trying to grow your deliveries by 50% a year, um, like that means you need to kind of uh, branch out into different customer sets that, that you weren't targeting before or who um, aren't aware of, of your company. Um, and so like Elon, I think does a lot of great free advertising on X, but most of the people I know in the real world are not on X and, um, might even just have like, 
either misperceptions or just don't think Elon is uh, a great person potentially because of something they heard about, something that he posted on X. So I, I think most people aren't getting their information in the same manner that you and I are, Herbert. Um, and and I, so I think just some sort of, of campaign to um, just get the general public a little bit more aware of, of the various benefits from like how awesome the, the smartphone app is. Um, like, I mean, just like one example, I was landing late at night from a, a flight. I had to park my car and outside parking at the airport and it was covered in like, I don't know, mm -hmm. six inches of ice or something like that. Well, right when I landed, I was able to just defrost my car. And then by the time I got there, I didn't even have to scrape yeah. it. Like that's an amazing like convenience feature. And you can't do that with an ice car, obviously, because you can't like you don't the car's not smart enough to know if it might be parked indoors at a garage and then all of a sudden it's spewing CO2 in an enclosed space. So like, I just think there's so many areas like that where um, the, the product is so compelling, um, but it's it's hard to convey how compelling the product is uh, to people who um, just aren't that interested in it. Um, so I, I think it's like a creative person who's like, I, I'm not a creative person. That's not my, my skill set. So I don't want to pretend to like tell Tesla how to, to go about this. But I know that there's some way that, that Tesla could at least experiment with um, trying to get the word out around how great their vehicles are, um, aside from just cutting costs. Because it, it seems to me Tesla has just cut costs and, and that's been the only tool in the chest. And, and my point of view is, Let's just try some more tools. And, and if this ad campaign turns out to be like a total like bust and it doesn't work, that's great. Like we don't have to continue it, um, but we won't know unless we we really try it. So my point of view is like, let's just try a couple different things um, to really advance the company's mission, which is to accelerate the transition to sustainable energy. And, and I think relying on price cuts alone is just a, a blunt, blunt tool. Okay. Well, I mean, my concern is the people and you just kind of mentioned it, which is like, instead of price cuts, we should have done advertising. And I think that that's, that I don't agree with that concept. So my position on this is simply that, you know, you price cut, that's your top priority until you get the price of electric vehicles is at parity or below the ICE cars. That's priority number mm -hmm. one. The number one reason people buy cars is not based on safety, which is shocking. <laughs> it's based on price. So if the car is priced more than other cars, you're not going to buy it. And why would you advertise something that's twenty, thirty thousand dollars? If if um, you know some of the people in our community was advocating that they should not have cut the prices in January, you'd be advertising like crazy a car that's twenty, thirty thousand dollars more than the average car out there. That's that's ridiculous. And this is not mm -hmm. part of the mission. So bring the car price down. We're out there. We're there now. <clears throat> Number two, Tesla is advertising. They're advertising in China. So I do agree with you that we are at that point now where they need to advertise here and they will advertise here. So I'm not sure why there's this group of people who think that they're, they're you know, Elon's already come out saying that we'll likely do advertising. When he said that, by the way, people thought, oh, you know, the audience members and they're, they're shouting and it made him realize it. And so at that, you know, that, that moment he said, we're, oh, okay, you guys really want it. I'll go do it. He had already had a team. There was, you know, it came out later that they had already had a team already looking into advertising. They're not against it. They're already doing it in China, uh, and it's working really well in China. And then you just might have seen last night that they did an advertisement in Hamada Airport in Japan, mm -hmm. like a full-on advertisement. Like a, yeah. you know, you see the car driving, you see how to use it, you see the superchargers, you see how to use the apps. This is not <laughs> a fundamental thing that they're not going to do. It's just that 
it's not about price cuts versus advertising. You price cut until you get to the point where you're below the prices of ICE cars. That's my belief. Now that we are there, uh, and they're still going to keep doing price cuts, by the way, uh, but they should now add advertising. So that's uh, yeah, so my quick answer. I, and I, I think it, you and I are probably mostly in agreement. Um, yeah, I think people I who've heard us on like spaces before might think that we're like we're diametrically opposed on this, but right. like I, I really mostly agree with what you're saying. I think I, my uh, slight tweak might be to, just to be a little bit less binary about it. Like, mm. Try like a little bit of, of advertising yeah. in conjunction with with price cuts and, and just kind of yeah. play with that formula and, and see what works. Um, so like I like I don't think you have to price cut only until you get to parity. I mean, because, for example, one of the things that most people don't know is that the like the um, variable cost per, per mile driven is so much lower with the Tesla. So you like yeah. your maintenance costs are lower, no oil changes. The fuel cost is obviously like significantly lower. So, but people don't look at total cost of ownership, but maybe there's some <clears throat> segment of the population that didn't know that, you know, you know, plugging in your car is like a third of the cost of fueling up your car. Um, yeah. So like, uh, to me, there's like a very easy advertisement there, uh, just kind of explaining that point and that, and that might help to break down some walls. So um, I, I just think it's a, it's not binary. It's not price cuts until you get to a certain point. But that said, I like I've you. always advocated for price cuts. Like my models going back to 2019 had a five percent mm. price cut every single year, um, and so okay. I was actually quite shocked when, in you know, COVID, we were raising prices like crazy. Like, this is it was not my bingo card to be raising prices. Yeah, the prices of the cars today is the same prices that it it was released in 2018, the Model Three, and 2020 when the Model Y came up. They're just now at the same price. That, so for so me, that's true. I, I do think there's some misconceptions around that, though, because okay. we've had a, a decent amount of inflation. So your cost of goods sold yes. is actually higher now. So like, yeah, it's true that we're, we're priced at the same dollar value, but like the, the cost to produce has actually increased pretty significantly. Um, and that's because uh, of, of uh, the inflationary I, forces. So if you look at the gross margins, they're actually lower now. I could disagree with you there. Sorry. <laughs> I've been learning from uh, Jeff Lutz, who's a supply chain expert, and he said, the highest cost of goods is at the, the first two months of the product release. And then, of course, the, the supply chain issues with COVID made the cost of goods skyrocket. But since then, they've been able to reduce all the supplies have gone down, lithium supplies have gone down, and Tesla themselves continue relentlessly lowering price, uh, cost and expenses and cutting things. And so I wouldn't be surprised if it's now higher margins, even with the price cuts, it, have the price being the same, they'd actually have higher margins now than they would have if everything stayed the same in 2018. Um, well, Jeff Lutz, so, so. That's, like, anecdotally, that, that kind of makes sense. But if you just look at their financial statements, like starting in 2019, their automotive gross margin was like 22.8%, percent 22.5%, 25.4%, 25.7%. Jeff pointed out it's because of the two ramp, the two money furnaces of the two gigafactories that happened last year. And as they ramp now, we're going to see this dramatically fall at this point. And so that's why he's saying there's going to be surprise to people because they're not realizing that the reason why that happened is for these two reasons. So we'll see. Okay. Well, well yeah. That, so that, that's a thesis, you know, like I, I would just say as of like, if you take, cause in, in that time period that I was quoting, like the, Shanghai plant was also ramping um, and, and you like mm -hmm. had Fremont being a, a significant portion of, of the totals there, which is 
like a horrible plant for in, in terms of gross margins, um, at least relative to, yeah. to you know, yeah. Shanghai and, and probably the steady state of, of Berlin and Austin. So I, I hope Jeff's right. But, um, you know, just looking at the at the actual figures right now and for the last many quarters, the cost of goods sold has been uh, higher than than, you know, those previous levels, but even though the, the price uh the, the sale price has is essentially normalized the cost of goods sold has not so I, i'd love to be proven wrong on this point but i i don't really see that happening um at least immediately maybe you know in the long term and certainly when gen 3 ramps you know that will that will go a long way toward reducing cost of goods sold but um yeah <laughs> the time will tell that's that's the nice thing about this i'll be happy to kind of admit i was wrong if you know jeff jeff turns out to be right I would put my money on Jeff, right? Because he's this is his business. This is what he does. <laughs> he really understands inventory, supply chain, manufacturing. He knows his stuff, and so you know, it's it's uh, I I I I trust a lot of things he's saying. So we'll see. Like you said, well, we don't know because I was surprised last quarter that the gross margins were just even lower than what we were all we were thinking it was going to you know come back by the first quarter we thought it'd come back in the second quarter and now here in the third quarter we'll see the the actual financials here in the 20 days from now or next week we're going to see the actual Seven numbers days. and it could be that the cost of goods has not yet hit <laughs> but it will so if it's not this quarter <laughs> i'm just a perpetual optimist but uh, i know it's going to come right <laughs> The margins yeah, that, will appear. Kind of even getting to cuts. what we were saying before, like I want to miss high and low in, in equal increments. And Good this point. is one where I, I just, okay, to me, it seems like hoping that, you know, that that, that view is, is right. And, and eventually, like the costs, I think, will will decline. Like certainly if you look at the cost of goods sold for Berlin and Austin, those costs are going to decline. Like there's there's no doubt about that just with higher utilization. And but we saw today the, the 4680 in Austin mm -hmm. had a, a big milestone hitting, I think it was 20 million cells. 20. So that ramp seems to be going really strong right now. And, and that's going to go a long way toward lowering costs uh, there. Um, but you, you're talking about, you know, equivalent to i think it was like twenty thousand vehicles uh, that you can be getting so like the, the cost benefits i think are just relatively small right now um com mm -hmm. compared to the mm -hmm. overall size and and then the fact that like i mean look at where cpi has been and like commodity costs lithium is still even though it's come down it's higher than it was in you know 2019 2020 um and so you can't really kind of manufacturing optimize your way around those sorts of issues so if you're selling you know your car at the same price but your single highest commodity cost has gone up um it's just gonna be really hard to kind of overcome those hurdles so um i, I love mm -hmm. jeff and this is uh, time will tell um but this is one i'm i'm kind of happy to take the take the under on him okay that's fair i mean i agree with you i think so the biggest risk uh you know everything's going so well as far as we are saying except for the 4680 so i still think it is battery constrained as much as they kind of said at the beginning and then they kind of backtracked on that I think they're battery constrained. Specifically, 4680 has been much lower. That's the risk uh, for me in uh, the next year. What about you? Um, I mean, I mean, to me, I think the the biggest one is is um, you know lack of demand slash like more price cuts. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't think anybody w was expecting the level of price cuts this year. That um, you know, if you if you go back to I think it was the Q4 call where Zach kind of issued some margin guidance that said they would, you 20%. know, stabilize around what was it, 20, like the mm -hmm. 20s or the high teens, something like mm -hmm. that. Um, and, and now, like, we're kind of going right, 
right down significantly below that. Uh, and even on the first quarter after that, it was like, well, it was clear they, they missed that right away. Um, so I, I think nobody really has a perfect crystal ball on, on where demand is going to be next year. And um, given the fact that some of these trends that we've been talking about, that makes me so excited about the stock in the long term, um, you know, those are probably not going to pan out in the next six to 12 months. So I, I think the, the biggest risk is that, you know, those don't materialize and, you know, macro continues to be a little bit weak. Consumer right. spending dries up, interest rates are high, and that makes, you know, car purchases more expensive. Um, and so then it's just like, what does Tesla do in that situation where they're, they're trying to ramp to, you know, I don't know, 2.5 million vehicles, but demand is even lower than it was in 2023. Like, that's that's I think a, a real I, I like to think about the actual you know supply and demand you know charts mm -hmm. of Tesla's supplies every single year it's I can't get this right every single year Tesla's essentially shifting the supply chart up and what that does is it uh, lowers the, the the clearing price uh, for for customers and so if you're doing that um, if you're following that strategy into economic where the demand uh, curve has also shifted downward. You, you're you're getting a double compounding price increase or uh, price drop, um, and so while Tesla's margins and manufacturing efficiency are super strong, um, we could be in a scenario uh, where Elon, we're basically doing what Elon said he would do is just sell the cars at break even and hope to make it up on FSD on the back end. Um, now that might not be the worst thing in the long term. There probably would be some good buying opportunities along the way, but that's like, I think you know my number one, two, and three mm -hmm. concerns right now. Okay, so. Um which I think is absolutely correct. You're, you've changed my mind a little bit there. Thank you for that. So this uh, Sawyer Merritt put out this poll. He had uh, almost 20,000 people vote on it. So I'd be very curious how you voted on it. And he said, what is, in your opinion, the biggest issue for Tesla? Is it affordability? Is it the macro conditions? Is it awareness of pricing? Or is it production? So awareness of pricing specifically? Mm-hmm. Because so I uh, I would maybe amend it slightly. I would say just awareness in in general is, is probably their single biggest issue. Um, because just because I, I think there are, I think there's a massive segment of the population that isn't considering an EV. That if they were um, more up to speed on the value proposition of of Teslas, they would be in that buying pool that would consider them. But right now they just don't. They go to the dealer and they ask what's on the lot and or they you know. Yeah, just mm -hmm. assume that they'll get the similar sort of car that they bought before. Um, and they just don't, you know, they don't have people that, like you and I, you know, mm -hmm. just like talking nonstop about Tesla and, and why it's so great and the customer experience. So I, I really think lack of awareness or, or if you could just magically increase awareness overnight to where 50% of the population kind of knew mm -hmm. what not us because we're like really deep nerds, but like an average Tesla owner, let's say, who's not passionate about the stock or Elon or anything like that. Just they understood what an average Tesla owner experiences. Yeah, I think yeah. you'd see a huge uptick in sales because more people would be like, oh, you know what? Like, yeah, I could get a you know BMW or a Volkswagen or whatever. But, uh, you know, I've really liked the convenience and the sleek look and the safety of a Tesla. So, I'll, you know, I'll I'll do it for that reason. So to me, I think awareness is, is like if I could yeah. wave a magic wand and just change one thing, it would be that. So the number one answer out of 20,000 votes was the macro conditions, which is actually your answer that you just gave five minutes ago. And then the second answer was affordability. And then the third is awareness, but the affordability and awareness were 24% and 22%. So very, very close to each other. 
Um, I agree with you about the awareness, of course. The reason I fell in love with Tesla, um, I was somebody who wanted to invest my money in the green revolution. I invested in a bus called Ballard and they failed. <laughs> They're still alive today, but the investment was nowhere near. They just couldn't do it. I think it was hydrogen fueled uh, kind of electric, but I just wanted to invest in something. Then when I discovered Tesla, what blew my mind, what just, you know, just made me go, oh my God, this is a company I want to do. It makes so much sense was the awareness where I understood that there's no engine. Like there's no, mm -hmm. um, the, the engine is the size of a shoebox and 200 parts don't need to be in it because they have a, they have a frunk and the frunk, because it's empty, they have more crumple zones. And so one of the reasons, and the battery that those two reasons alone make this safer. You know, it's just all of a sudden, what? Because they don't need an engine, I don't have to pay for service. And I'm so sick and tired of, you know, 5,000, 2,000, whatever the garage tells me I need to do for all of my cars I've ever to do. I'll just take it and say, yes, sir. <laughs> Let me pull up my wallet, pay you whatever you told me I have to pay you for services issues, you know? So I think that people don't even know that. They don't realize, yeah. um, like you said at the very beginning. Yeah, and like my very first car, um, the, the transmission blew out on it and it was like as much to replace the transmission as it was to like as the salvage value of the car. So I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to get a new car. Um, and so yeah. then when I found out that a Tesla didn't even have a transmission, I was like, oh, that'd be sure that'd be nice to like not have my car <laughs> fail in that way. So I think there's yeah. just like like so many people, yep. the, the electrician who installed my home charger um, for the, for the Tesla like so where's the gas tank on this thing i was like how do you of all people an electrician installing a home ev charger not not know that these these cars don't have uh gas oh, tanks maybe thought and, it was a hybrid just... yeah but still yeah yeah understood yeah the awareness is very low so yeah they will advertise so that's my point it's like let's not fight about it because it is no doubt in my mind they're going to advertise they already are in japan and china like i said gonna come no worries but yes uh, right now they're selling everything they can make, but yeah, why did they lower the price? Good question. Okay. And great conversation. Thank you so much, Matt. I love, uh, your unique approach of course, is that you're both a numbers guy, but you're also an optimist and you also have the ability to think big and that allows you to see the bigger picture and the small picture quite nicely. Um, I will put a link to your Tesla valuation. I know that it's a little old, so there's some numbers that it's, uh, you're going to update. Uh, folks, follow Matt on Twitter. He has his handle at Matt Chasm Matt. And I know you said that you wish you changed a long time ago. M-A-T-C-H-A-S-M-M-A-T-T. -T. His company is Halter Ferguson, hffinancial.com. Um, also, uh, rebellionaire.com. We, we've uh, right. started taking some uh, concentrated clients recently who have concentrated what? positions in Tesla or, or other names and uh, I think most financial advisors won't work with people like that. Those sell your Tesla and, and then I'll work with you. So um, that's something we've, we've started doing recently that uh, I think is, has filled a niche for people pretty nicely. Exactly. There's a huge uh, demand for people to help you manage your money, but you're, you want to be majority Tesla because you believe in it so much. And the general generic answer by most financial advisors is be, be uh you know, be uh, spread out your basket. But reality is that, you know, we didn't talk about this, but Tesla is an ETF. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That's somebody had that great tweet one time about like the, all the different startups within Tesla and it's like all these different segments and all these different um, areas of opportunity. And it's, it's so true. They really, they really are an ETF, but it's like an ETF of like all the coolest and most profitable th things about the future. Big, so biggest like, business. Yeah. 
Awesome. Thank you much. So rebellionaires, rebellionaires.com. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you. Thanks, Herbert. Great talking to you.